Welcome to the Get Up Nation Weekly Resilience Report, featuring Ben Biddick, creator and host of the Get Up Nation show, and featuring former Navy SEAL Diego Ugalde, CEO of the Trident Approach. First of all, I just want to congratulate you on, on an amazing keynote talk. People need to hire you for more of these. Uh, people who are, are seeking to be leaders, leadership courses for high-level performers, master performers in organizations, they need to get the Trident approach uh, within their walls or, um, or in the company of their staff because you're going to draw out the best from them and really orient them to some profound lessons um, of leadership and not just that, but, but a living a full and thriving life, really key success concepts, key concepts about the value of people. Um, I just, I just want to get into some of the, the, the content that you, that you put out to this amazing group, got such a good response from them. Um, I really loved what stood out to me is at the beginning, you were talking about authenticity. Um, you were talking about fear and from your perspective as a Navy SEAL, the things that you've faced, uh, in comparison with, with what's often faced, uh, you know, in a boardroom or in a leadership um, seminar or, you know, and as things are happening within a business, you provide a very unique insight um, for leaders and, and really seeing and really communicating the value of people. And so for leaders who come in and may have a um, misunderstanding about, about military leadership, you know, sometimes people think that do you ever get it that they think you're going to be like a drill sergeant walking in and you just start snapping people, you know, um, up into these types of things, these misconceptions that people have about military leadership. And then you're coming at it with talking about fear, talking about authenticity. Uh, tell me a little bit about like what you get oftentimes and then how shocked people are that you're really bringing the meat of getting inside the human being facing an obstacle or a group of human beings facing, you know, uh, daunting or intimidating circumstances and trying to get something done together. Yeah, so people are different for sure. There, there are there are there are tons of military leaders and people who teach leadership uh, from veterans and that type of thing who are exactly what people think they are. You know, they come in and you do the boot camp thing and start, you know, whatever. But there are also many, many, many of us who that's not how we roll really, <laughs> you know? Yeah. So it's, I would say, you know, people just look at us the way, you know, people normally look at other people just naturally. What, what do I know about the military and what can I expect? And so it's, again, it's, it's why racism doesn't make any sense. You know, it's just, you gotta take people for face value. Um, and it's fine, it's, it's normal to have prejudice, you know what I mean? Just to look at this, well, I'm expecting this as long as you're not attached to that outcome because what you can do is you can hear um, and see things that maybe aren't actually happening yeah. because of those predispositions. So for us, uh, we are the way we are, we're different than most everybody, just like most everybody is different from us. Um, and, you know, talking about from your perspective, you know, what do we know about fear and, um, and what we experienced in the military and on the outside is, I think there's a different type of fear when you're on the battlefield. And I say, I think because although I had, you know, I've got 
whatever three combat deployments and over 250 missions and that type of thing. I was never really afraid of what was going on. And mostly because I just felt like I was with the baddest dudes uh, in the neighborhood. And also um, there's a concept that seems like a little people know about um, of like the fighting season, right? So in the summer, uh, Al-Qaeda and the Taliban and all that stuff, that's when they're really awake and that's when they're really, really aggressive and really wanting to fight. And for whatever reason, it's just not that way in the wintertime. Well, I was with SEAL Team 2 and all the SEAL teams, generally speaking, had like this usual rotation where always we deployed in the wintertime. Uh, so we were away from home for Christmas and Thanksgiving and all that stuff every other year. But that also meant that we were, you know, that's when we were downrange in, in these war fighting seasons. So it's we got in firefights, but they, it was just never to the scale of like the guys at team 10 or the guys at team five where, where they were just always there in the dog days of summer where those guys were most out and most active. So I'm mentioning all of this just to say the firefights that I, that I was in, they just weren't that big of a deal. Um, I've had some buddies that got shot, but you know, I was a medic and I was lucky enough to be a part of what was going on there. Um, and I felt like I had a lot of control because I was a civilian paramedic before I was in the SEAL team. So I felt like I was really comfortable. And like I said, I just felt like I was with the baddest dudes in the world and that nothing could harm us. And, you know, in a lot of ways, that was really true. So it's hard for me to really speak from a place of fear uh, when it comes to that, because I, I just if I was afraid, I'd never felt it. It never really you know, right, right now is a good time to be scared. Yeah. That never happened. Yeah. Um, and so it, it is hard for me to make that transition, but what I will say is having gone through my own internal deep discovery of really looking myself and my soul in the face and saying, you know, this is who you are. That's really the only time in my life that I've been afraid like really afraid and it was life-changing um, because I had always chosen not to go down that path before in my life it was like hey I'm happy I'm doing well like I don't need to see what's under you know the carpet over there but what I'm seeing is that there are similarities between fear in the workplace and the fear of looking at the self almost always, like literally almost everything we do starts from within ourselves. And so when, when people are afraid of certain things, a lot of times it's like their own judgments that they're passing their own, you know, maybe their, their ego is having an impact on like, Hey, you better watch out for this, or this is going to happen or whatever. And it's not necessarily in our culture to look at those things and dissect them piece by piece by piece. Uh, so we just choose not to look at them which is the same thing that I was doing with myself. So um, almost always the fear that comes into the workplace, a lot of it comes from the self. Now, if you have a tough leadership team of people who aren't aware of this, and maybe they have their own fears going on now, they can, they can reach out and grab a lot of people through fear as well, you know, uh, just by quality of, quality of work 
how they go about leading people, you know, people always being afraid to, you know, getting fired and all these ramifications, even, you know, it could be over the top sometimes, you know, fear can come from all, from all of those places, but even that fear is the same as the fear from the self. Um, it's the fear from the self that that's causing those leaders to extend where their fear can touch, uh, which can be really unfortunate and really take a toll on the team and, and the people that are working so hard to help support the organization. So, so this introspection and this, this, uh, this look within, how were you helping or how, how, did, how were people impacted by what you were sharing there as far as giving them frequently in, that, in what I hear when you talk, it's, it's really uh, stunning to me, the, the level of non-judgment that's there. It's great. It's, it's, it's you just come clean with the truth of the matter. You just say that, you know, this is the ego doing this. This is, you know, these, these things that happen. This is, are you here for money only? Are you like, and you break it down without judgment and you get to the root of those, those realities. And that uncovers so much of our experience and does it, I mean, does that lead to a liberation within them as they start to bring that awareness to what's going on within them? How does that create liberation? How does that create cohesion um, as you've taken these people through this process? It, it is a process. My process is ongoing as we speak. Like I am not at the mountaintop of enlightenment right now. And I would say that I have, I'm about two and a half to three years on in my no kidding, let's see what's going on here. So when I have these keynotes for these people, it's not like I'm radically changing their lives. The one thing that I feel that, that the keynotes are providing is just an opportunity for awareness because a lot of these things that I'm, that I'm talking about are things that I just had no clue of. I mean, no, nobody talked to me about this in school. Nobody talked to me about this at home. Uh, you know, in in any spiritual sector, and like nobody was talking about this stuff. And when I was, like I'm saying, just sitting there face to face with you know the deepest and sometimes darkest parts of myself. That was the first time I even knew that there was such a thing. Like I'm telling you, I'm about the happiest guy I know. You know, I'm always happy, you know, riding down the freeway with windows down, music blasting, I'm all singing and stuff. Um, but the moment where I was cornered and I didn't have anywhere to go, but I had to see all this, all of that went away and I was petrified, scared, scared. And so then I had to get past the being scared and, to get curious and like, okay, so I'm completely petrified of, mm -hmm. of what I might really look like, mm -hmm. how I might really come across to the world, how, how I might actually be because I'm hiding all of this stuff from all the world. Mm -hmm. And so how can I release some of that and look at it and accept it for what it is? That is taking years, mm -hmm. meditation, mindfulness, patience and persistence and all this stuff. So all we're really able to do is bring awareness for the people to start on their own journey um, to do. Now, there's other cultures across the, the world who are, are like, what are you talking about? Of course, uh, but it's not our culture. Our culture is 
hey, you've got to look good. You've yeah. got to be, you know, attractive. You've got to, you know, you've got to put off this certain persona. You've got to have this type of car and these types of houses. You know, if you want to be an influencer, if you want to do this, you know, there's there's a model that we are trying to achieve that is nothing like our authentic self. Mm-hmm. It is, you are creating a shell of an existence to, I guess, I, I don't know. I mean, I don't know. It's just, it's not for me, but mm-hmm. I... But even even though that stuff that has never really been for me, I didn't even know that I was actually doing that mm. the whole of my life, mm. and I was doing that not in not in the sense to be successful or mm. that I so that I could be an influence. It, it 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 was it was so that I could just get along in this world. Mm. Um, I learned from a very young age that it's not cool to be angry. Mm. You know, if you get angry, I'm going to get in trouble. I'm going to get grounded. I'm going to get put on restriction. Do all this stuff. Um, instead of realizing, hey, that anger is coming from somewhere. Where is it coming from? What is it all about? How do you fix all that stuff and move on? None of that stuff was happening. It was just, don't be mad. Right. You know, don't lash out. Don't act like that. And But that was the end of it. So uh, having those types of conversations in these keynotes and then showing, explain to them what, or what is the fallout for living this kind of fakish life. Right. Um, can be is really impactful because I feel like most of us have experienced what it's like to be on the losing end of leadership through fear. Yeah. Right. And no one likes that. It sucks. It's hard. And then it takes a toll. It all people are different, but some people lose sleep. Some people manifest like physical injuries Right. Like there's all this whole thing that can happen when you are like in this environment of fear right. and resistance and all this. So we, we are talking to leaders because we know that they have uh, influence on, you know, what's going on around them. Yeah. I'm like, Hey, if you haven't heard it before, that's fine. But just understand if you are going through it in this direction, you can be having a huge negative impact on people who are, they don't know you. They, they don't even know themselves. So it can have these really terrible effects um, if you don't have, know how to manage them. Yeah. And that was one of the topics that you were talking about was, you know, that concept of you felt like you were the happiest guy on earth. You, you were, you were happy, but one thing, you know, kind of one thing kind of jolted that perception and that's getting cut off in traffic. And you talked about how when that, that happened, the inst- it would be instant anger. And then the question of, well, where does that come from? Because, you know, whatever, it was like, you know, 90 some percent of the time, you're happy, you're flowing, you're having a great time. Um, but that, that moment was the thing that got a hold of you. Were there other leaders that had other similar things where they were like, that's what really gets me? Or that kind of triggered me to really start some introspection or really thinking about who am I as a person? Who am I authentically, truly within? Because I don't like Mm. what behavior I'm exhibiting at this point, or I've seen how it's impacting these people that I'm responsible for, or, and I don't like being that type of person to create that in others. I would much rather have create a sense of happiness, a, a sense of satisfaction or fulfillment in others is, has that, you know, as you, as you work at the Trident approach with these CEOs and leaders, are those some of the things you're you're seeing happen where pe- they're finding that introspection for themselves and and g- getting out from under uh, fear a little bit? 
Yes, with the keynote, not so much. I mean, because we only had so much time and, and there wasn't a whole lot of Q&A at the end. It was just, you know, I was in there and I was out. But for sure, with our events in the Trident approach, our program is designed to uncover this stuff. Yeah. Um, and it happens a lot. And, and it's not so much where, you know, this is my trigger. But things like I didn't realize I don't, I don't trust people. I don't I don't trust myself. I don't trust my organization. And these are like high level CEOs that have like tens of thousands of people working for them. And you think for me, I'm thinking, wow, what a burden, yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah, right. well, imagine, you know, if you're a boat and you got your propellers and you got three propellers on the back of a ship or whatever you know, only one screw is turning. The rest are just, you know, if you don't trust your organization, you don't trust yourself, you don't trust all of these things, like you are not going at full speed. Yeah. But that's what our events are, are designed to do is, is to, to bring that stuff up to the surface of, of things that, um, I'm guessing for the most part, there are things that people are aware of, you know, they, they know they exist. Like he, he might have said that in the past, like, oh, I don't trust myself or whatever. But he's been able to move on. Where our events, you're there. There's nowhere else to go. And you can't just move on. It, it's like there is a very big difference between just, oh, I don't trust somebody to being, I don't trust anybody. And we've got, we have to move forward. It's just a different thing. So, yeah, it's, you know, like I said, triggers, I'm, I'm not so much, I'm not so sure. Uh, I would love to, I would love to just be able to sit down sure. and talk with, I mean, and that's why we've, we've opened up to coaching now. So we can, we can take all the time we need to just from wherever they're at to where they want to go. And because I would love to hear those conversations because those, those things, those triggers, those reasons, those elements are going to be different for everyone. And also from, for different reasons, you know, cause my next thought is, well, well, why don't you trust yourself? Yeah. You know, let's go there. And it's so hard to go to those places. It's, it, it is scary. It's uncomfortable. It's something you don't want to do, but freedom is on the other side. Mm. like sitting there and being you know maybe even power washed by that by that fear is the only way to get clean of it uh just being with it and just really well well why don't i trust myself mm -hmm. oh well this happened and you know through discovery and it takes time and it takes patience and it definitely takes honesty and it takes effort uh, but you go through and, and you know that individual who's looking at this whole idea of not being able to trust he he now knows but he doesn't know why yet and i don't either um but it but you know he's going to need somebody to sit with him and help him you know light the his own path because it's not my path yeah um if i didn't trust myself it would be a different reason than him so i'm helping him light his path and just the power that comes from knowing you know what I don't trust myself because of this and this and this and this. And then of course, there's further to go, further to go, further to go into words like at its element, this is the root cause of most of your fear. Yeah. And 
yeah, that's where all the work comes from. And I, one thing that too that I love is I, I love how so so at one point you had talked about how you were you were witnessing some team dynamics happen and a leader had made a statement something along the lines of I've sacrificed sacrificed my thoughts and I forget the specific words that you use but it was something along the lines of a leader sacrificing himself for the team and you yeah. and you kind of checked him on on that you could, you really articulated okay sacrificing for others has you know has a has a place and and things like that but to be for sustainable leadership over time the importance of self-care the importance of practicing this uh this you know introspection this this authenticity you have to sustain yourself as a leader if you're going to sustain others um, will you talk a little bit about that and a lot of the misconceptions that people have especially around military concepts about sacrifice and and delaying any kind of satisfaction and shutting off all our own needs for a cause um, that can lead to some really unhealthy behaviors right yeah absolutely so specifically what you were talking about is we had an event here in san diego where we were running people through uh, one of our half day events and at the end you know it our, our events are very emotional and, and loving and things like that. And so everybody kind of circles around at the end. And I turned to one of the executives and I said, you know, what'd you get out of today? And he said, I, I learned that, um, that I can put all of my needs to the side in order to sacrifice for the betterment of the team. And the way he made it sound, you know, everybody in the group was like, yeah, that's awesome. Like, woo, team's number one. And I was like, whoa, bro, again, you know, we only had four hours. And, you know, I think with that event, we had something like 50 or 60 people there. So you don't get that one-on-one, -on -one, but I was like, whoa, like, I appreciate what you're saying. Um, but there, there's, like you said, there's no sustainability in that. You can continue to minimize and relegate the self and pretend like you don't need, but we all need. And so if you aren't in a place where your needs are being met and you have been able to focus on yourself to get yourself to this, to this place as a leader, you're not necessarily able to sustain a way of leading your team where you're always putting them first. You're, yeah. you're going to break. Yeah. You are going to break if you're not paying attention and caring for the self. Yeah. So he looked at me and he was like, oh man, like I made a mistake. I'm like, you, you didn't make a mistake. You know, we're all in this process of learning. Um, I only had four hours with you, but <laughs> there's more to go, yeah. but you've got to, you know, you are number one. You've got to take care of number one. Once, you, once you've taken care of that and you've grown deep roots mm -hmm. in, in strength and stability in, you know, emotional stability and all those things, then you can start shouldering all the problems of all the people on your team, because almost always, you know, it's a team full of people who don't have strong roots themselves. They don't, they're not caring for themselves also. And there's all these things that are going on. And so it takes a lot of strength to deal with that in the best way possible. And so if you're not caring for yourself, that can really lead to a lot of problems, even though it seems really well-meaning. I mean, the guy is like, what, I'm, you know, I'm not a selfish person and I refuse to be a selfish person, that type of thing. So you can really very quickly go down 
maybe a not so healthy path thinking you're doing the right thing. Sure. Sure. Yeah. It's that fine balance between um, doing good for ourselves, being satisfied, having our cup filled, uh, filled to overflowing so that we can give to others at the same time, not being indulgent in that or not, not, you know, falling in love with ourselves and becoming, <laughs> becoming like, you know, thinking that we're some sort of superior uh, to everybody else or something like that. A fine line though, yeah. of, of treating ourselves with love and respect um, in that leadership position. Now, a couple of the concepts that I thought were just amazing. And I kind of got chills at a few times during your keynote, but one of them was, you said, mistakes are coming. And it's, and it's especially with, you know, in this concept that you've talked about how oftentimes we're just spending all of our time trying to create this image of ourselves in the world uh, or for ourselves or for others or for all of that. And, you know, the big fear can often be if I make a mistake, will I not look cool? Will I not get it done? Will I not make enough money? Will I not be, you know, the, the cool guy that needs to show up, you know, and, and dazzle everybody? Will I not be enough? And, and you said mistakes are coming. And then you really articulated how that's not to be something that to be scared of. That's not something to try to resist. It's just the truth and the fact of the matter that mistakes are coming. Will you explain a little bit more about that concept? Yeah, we, it's, it's especially this really, um, it, it, it rings very loudly for me because I, you know, coming from the SEAL community, I mean, there are no excuses. I mean, it is 100% top-notch elite performance. That's the way it is. That is the standard. That's the expectation. I mean, you fall out of line in any one of those things and there's going to be hell to pay because, you know, lives are on the line and all this stuff. And still mistakes happened. Mm -hmm. Mistakes are coming. There, we are human beings. We, we make mistakes. We think we have information that actually isn't true. When there's, I, mean, I can go on, on and on for all the reasons why you know, anyone can, can make any mistake. And the thing is that as leadership, it, was, it, it always seemed to be, you know, if a mistake happened, like the first reaction was like, who do we hold accountable for this? Like, how did this happen? What's going on? as if there was some sort of surprise that a mistake happened at all. Hmm. It, where does the surprise come from? You know, <laughs> we are dealing, regardless of whether we're dealing with Navy SEALs or whatever, doesn't matter, mistakes are coming. And so we are now, we're talking about elite leadership now. So if you want to be in a place of elite leadership, there's different ways to handle when mistakes happen. Mm -hmm. um, you can, react in a negative way and like looking external and, and figuring out like whose fault it is and all this stuff or that's one that's one way of dealing with this another way to deal with the mistake is what happened like what's going on and how do we fix it mm -hmm. it's not like you don't make a mistake i mean every human being in the world makes mistakes mm -hmm. and and, and, and that's the funny thing is because it's something that we know. If I were to ask any one of you or your listeners, hey, do you make mistakes? Of course I do. Yeah. But there's a gap between that understanding and, and, and embodying that way of life. Mm -hmm. Yes, mistakes happen. Mm -hmm. So now what, how do you deal with it? And, and one of the examples that I use to kind of, to really fully explain what I'm talking about when Sully Sullenberger was, you know, uh, taking off from the airport and he got the bird strikes and killed both of his engines. You know, his first reaction wasn't like, 
who let all those birds on the runway? Or how come they don't deserve, how come they don't uh, design these, these engines to withstand bird strikes? How come there isn't more like safety mechanisms in place to like to prevent this stuff from happening? Like none of that happened. Right. It was like bird strike, both engines are failing. I'm going to come back with a solution in a second. Nice. And that's what he did. And he saved all those people by landing in the Hudson River. And of course, there's people wanted to burn them alive. So they did all those. If you saw the movie, you saw really how the, the whole investigation process and all that, you know, they wanted to burn somebody again, right. <laughs> you know, right. And, and so that's what creates the fear. Mm -hmm. And so when you set an environment like that, where everybody's afraid to make a mistake, yeah. guess what? Mistakes are coming. Yeah. You know, that's right. They're coming either way, but now they're coming from a place of fear. Now, yeah. if you are able to create these environments where helping people understand and embody the culture of the organization, they understand the values and the principles, they understand the mission, they understand the direction and all those stuff. And if they make mistakes in the spirit of those things, mm -hmm. you're kind of falling forward. You're mm -hmm. making mistakes that are clearly recoverable from and you can much more easily move on from those. It's when you make mistakes that are counter to the culture, counter to the mission, counter to all those things that make it harder to recover from. But that's still normal. Like that still happens all the time. Right. And it just doesn't make sense to me that in our culture, it's just like, hey, this person made a mistake, they're fired. So what do you you're going to hire somebody else so that they can make a mistake and fire them too. Like, I, I, I just don't right. understand that mostly because when they look at these people who are making mistakes, they, the way I've seen it is that they look at what they did and they're upset about the thing that they did mm -hmm. instead of saying, how are you? Like yeah. what's going on? How did this happen? And all these types of things. And taking care of the root cause of that mistake, you know, this person might have forgot to put a TPS sheet cover thing or whatever on their TPS reports and be like, ah, oh, you're fired. Instead of being like, hey, what's going on? Like, I'm absolutely miserable. Yeah. Why? Because of this. Oh, well, how can we do this? Now, how can we do this? Now, how can we do this? Right. To me, now you're starting to create an environment where people are okay with the normal existence of making a mistake right. you know honestly it's like getting mad at somebody for farting you know? <laughs> <laughs> sorry to tell everybody you know and how uncomfortable is that right now i mean you're just talking like oh my god it's like, dude it's something we do something like a hundred something times a day maybe even more but we're like oh don't talk about that like you know same thing. We're living human beings. Like this is going to happen. This is a thing. So why in leadership are you like, oh, this is unbelievable. How could, how could you? Well, I could because I'm a human being right. and I made a mistake and there's a thousand things on my mind right now. I'm having trouble sifting through them all. I'm doing my best and I made a mistake. Yeah. What do you want? Like, oh, it's not good enough. Fair enough create an organization where you think that that you know everyone's gonna in and even that is yeah mis, you know mistakes are coming that's right that's right and then what i really love is and it'll always be is this will always be in my my head but what you've written here what you presented medals are earned when things go wrong and you, you touched on that topic where 
um, you know, the pilot didn't, didn't go into, he didn't waste any seconds of time. When seconds counted, mm-hmm. he didn't waste any time on anything but the solution. He wasn't yeah. trying to point a finger. He wasn't, you know, he was just so solution oriented at that point. And that's what, what keeps people alive and what uh, shows heroism in a moment. That's what opens us to the opportunity um, to have profound impacts on other people's lives is not when we're pointing the finger and blaming and, and, and it's pouring out fear, but we're actually connecting. Like, and I, as you speak, as you speak about creating that environment where the fact is that we're all human beings, nobody is perfect. And yes, we want to achieve great things. We want to do amazing things, but, but part of the amazing thing is the people we're with, right? The, the, the solution, part of the joy of finding a solution is finding it with other people or, finding the greatness. You've also talked about different people in your teams and how you love seeing your people thrive. One, you mentioned one of, uh, one of your, um, one of the, the Navy SEALs in the Trident approach, I believe he was a Navy SEAL. Uh, he loves to cook or is a chef. And so at, at certain meetings, he'll, that's where he loves to be at. That's where he's at his best. That's when he gives great gifts to other people of augmenting the atmosphere with amazing food, you know, it's these environments where people are involved in the solution, in the process, where there is the idea that, that things will go wrong and we'll work together to solve them and we'll grow through that process. Um, I, just can't, I, I just can't imagine when we talk about cohesion, when we talk about teams and the elite Navy SEALs who get sent to these, these dangerous uh, dangerous places, some of the most disturbing realities on earth, and you go there with your team. I, I just, it, it is so profound um, to hear this talk, to hear this culture that you're creating, to, to share this awareness with people who are seeking to be their very best, that it might just be about also the people that are with them in it. And that at the end of the day, part of the satisfaction, part of the solution is the people you're with at the time. Is that accurate? Yeah, totally. I mean, so what we're really kind of talking about, I think if I'm hearing you right, is micromanaging, you know? So, you know, I'm I'm in charge of this. I'm gonna make all the decisions. I'm gonna do all this. Well, well why have a team then? Right, You know, right. There is so much value. There, There is so much talent. There is so much genius, literally in everyone, if you have people that work in your organization that you don't believe are on a genius level, I don't know, you might be missing something. Yeah. It's there. Maybe they're not, they don't feel like they're allowed to be, but I, I believe that we all have these levels of genius within us that just need to be tapped into. Mm-hmm. So instead of, you know, relegating somebody to the back of the room, it's just like, when something goes wrong, bring everybody in. What's mm-hmm. going on? How do we handle this? I mean, talking, you know, if we're going to continue to talk about, Sully, I mean, that was one thing he asked his, his co-pilot, you know, Sully's got, you know, 50 years of, ex- of experience in flying and all this stuff. And he looks over his co-pilot and is like, what do you think, man? What do you got? You have anything? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's that kind of inclusion. Mm-hmm. And talking about, and, and just to put things in perspective about this whole idea of, you know, mentality and, and what it does and, you know, Yes, putting the pedal to metal is a harsh thing, but it creates elite performance in, in, in this. I've seen both sides. Mm-hmm. I, I've been in the teams with that mentality, and I've seen 
us perform like unbelievable feats of uh, unbelievable things, things that I just sometimes just don't think that humans are capable of doing that. And then I have also seen the other side of where guys eventually get out of the military and they're really, really for the first time able to even show or acknowledge any weakness. Mm. And not every single team guy that's out there who has been in the teams who is now out is running a million miles an hour. In fact, where I spend a lot of my time when I'm volunteering and things is to really help team guys who have been to all these places and done all these things get their baseline back to a place where they want it to be so that they can go out and be successful and really contributing members of society. There is a toll to, that is taken, whether you want it to be or not, whether you understand it or not, whether you know it or not, it doesn't matter. It's being taken. Mm-hmm. And these guys uh, who have put themselves in these positions and been on the front lines and all that stuff and, and, and elite standards and elite performance and go, 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 go. Even, even the best of the best don't have this endless gas tank. Mm-hmm. They don't have this endless you know, ability to be crushed and insulted and and maneuvered and twisted and turned and bent and all that stuff you can do it but not for long and and finally 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 something breaks and when it breaks it's not good i mean we're talking about depression we're talking about drug use we're talking about suicidal ideation and especially in the in in the military we were starting to add on like traumatic brain disorder post-traumatic stress all of these things are really, really like terrible, like recipes for what can eventually come to be. So all of these people who are performing on these standards that everybody like, oh, we gotta be just like them. We gotta be just like them. Like it's a harsh world where we come from and performing nonstop, you know, to that level, it's coming out somewhere. And, uh, and I wish more people could see that because yeah, we do a lot of things, right. We do a lot of things that are good, but it's not perfect. And, and, you know, 10 years down the line, 20 years down the line, 30 years, 40 years for some guys, it's really apparent that some work needs to be done. And all of that work is all stuff that should have been done as we were moving along. Um, but we never, we do, it seems like we just never feel like we don't have any time to address that stuff. Um, which is ironic because if, if you don't have the time to take care of yourself, right. uh, time is going to take itself from you mm. and, and show it, you know, now's when I want to deal with this and it's going to be a, an inopportune time, uh, you know, most inconvenient time. Right. And you never know what the fallout effects of that are going to be when time says, Hey, we need to deal with this and we need to deal with this now. Sometimes it might not be noticeable and other times, you know, you can lose your family, you can lose your job, you can get a DUI, you can, you know, kill somebody, you know, all of these things can happen. So those things have to be taken care of as you go and really, really very honestly, um, it can't be any of this. Oh, no, nothing's wrong. I'm good. I'm good, dude. Wow. What's up? It right. can't be that because that doesn't help. Man, amazing. It, we've, we've talked a lot about how, um, 
you know, the self-care aspect of it, the fullness of, of recognizing what we are as people, the depths of us, the, and how when we're facing these challenges that uh, it can take its toll. Um, and, and one thing that I wanted to highlight here is when you were talking about being comfortable in the water, having air in your lungs, basically, you know, you're in, you're in an elite training um, I'm, it, that you can articulate, you know, what that training was and everything, but you were at the bottom of the, you're underwater 15 feet down, you're basically getting tore up, attacked, beat up by an instructor. Um, and this is, this was like a pivotal uh, exercise to determine whether or not you would go forward from there. Are you comfortable in the water? And, uh, and we talk a lot about self-care, but what the, the, one of the things that I would love to hear you talk more is, about is the value of being tested, the value of we have all these thoughts in our heads about what we may think we are. We may think we may perform a certain way down the line or downrange, but then when you're actually there, it's a, it's, and you're actually in it, we can have different outcomes, right? So, um, and it, it teaches us a significant amount about who we actually are uh, versus what we may dream in our head. Will you talk a little bit about those concepts? Yeah, so um, as fast as I'll, as I can, I'll try to bring everybody up to speed of why this was so significant. Uh, on, on paper, from the time you start to the time you're actually a SEAL, it should take you about two years or so. Uh, for me, it took about 12 years. <laughs> so I had tried, I had failed, I had done all these things. I got injures, injuries, I had failed tests, I failed time runs, I failed all this stuff. And, um, and I was just at a, at a point in my life where I knew that the only thing I could do was I had to go back and try SEAL training again uh, because it was just like, this is the way I thought that I don't think this way now, but I did at the time. I, you know, I just got to get this monkey off my back. And the only way I'm going to do that is if by going back to SEAL training. And so uh, the first time I was in SEAL training, I was there for about four months. And I was, uh, they threw me out of training Friday before Hell Week because I couldn't pass any time runs. And so I knew what that was like. I knew what it was like to be in first base, pushing logs and boats and soft sand runs and swims and all that. Well, once I'd made it to Hell Week and everything after Hell Week was a complete genuine surprise to me. I didn't know what it was like. I didn't know what to expect and all those types of things. So we ended up graduating first phase and then we went, which was like the indoctrination phase of, of SEAL training. Um, and if I said buds before, I mean basic underwater demolition SEAL training, which is, you know, how we, you know, the first step in really becoming a SEAL. And so from first phase, from, from the in-dock phase, then we will go into dive phase and, and dive phase is where we learn how to basically do all things that we do under the water. And in the beginning, before we really get out to the ocean and the bays with the currents and and minimum visibility and that type of stuff, we go to our swimming pool. And it's a very, it's a huge swimming pool. It's enormous and uh, parts of the swimming pool are about 15 feet deep. And so everybody knows about Hell Week. It's this very famous thing, but not so many people know about this evolution during second phase dive phase, which is called pool comp, which is uh, pool competency. Like you're competent in the water 
and it's a week long, uh, if I remember right. And there are all these skills that you have to do that are very, very difficult. And it's like, you know, one builds on another. And, um, and you know, if you fail, you get rolled and you, you know, and I had failed SEAL training before. And I felt like if I failed pool comp and I was done, I was out. And, and that was such a, you know, just a horrible feeling, really just this fear that was hanging on me, you know, that really that monkey never went anywhere. <laughs> it was just right. It just chose to be, you know, afraid of the next, you know, um, uh, requirement that was coming up. And so one of the more difficult parts of pool comp during that week is, you know, you, you get down in the water and you get on your hands and knees while you're on the, on the, on the floor of the pool and you start crawling and there's a seal instructor who's at the surface and he times it to where on your exhale, he just hits you and he rips your mask off. He rips your, your regulator off. He turns off your air. He turns, you know, ties all your hoses into knots and he kind of roughs you up a little bit. And you, there are a series of, you know, um, basically procedures that you've got to go through in order to successfully um, manage that evolution. Going into SEAL training, I always felt like, hey, I, I can handle, no matter what happens in the water, I, I can handle it. You know, I've been through a lot of first phase stuff where they fill your mask up with water and you're laying on your back doing exercise and having to breathe without choking on the water, all this, all this stuff. Uh, you know, I jumped in the, the San Francisco Bay to swim to Alcatraz for fun in the middle of the night in November. Um, I, I've surfed, I've done all this stuff, big old waves, everything. And I'm like, I'm, I'm comfortable in the water. Like I'm good. But all of those things in all of those times, there were, there was always like this safety measure. You know, if I was really in danger, I could call for help. Um, but that, that didn't exist here for me because if I did call for help, then everything was over. Mm. Everything was over in my life. I thought at the time. And so I'm sitting there at the bottom of the pool, you know, are you <laughs> you know, when you do that, when you're out of breath, I'm 15 feet down and, and I can't breathe. And there was just a decision to make. I mean, are you going to go through these procedures like they're supposed to? Um, or are you going to panic and bolt to the surface and just be removed from training um, eventually? And I was, I'm like, no, I'm not going anywhere. <laughs> like, <laughs> you kidding me? I, I, I fought everything and everyone and the universe to get back here. And I'm not going anywhere. And so I managed, I did all this stuff. I did everything I was supposed to. And I surfaced and, and um, believe me, it wasn't pretty. It wasn't like I surfaced and my hair was done and I looked like <laughs> I had a tan and all this stuff. I'm sitting here like coughing and I'm like, you know, choking and I'm like, you know, phlegm is coming up and I, I, I was almost passing out. Uh, all, all It wasn't pretty, but I did it. And there was, the only thing that I can say is that once I was able to kind of collect myself and I realized where I was standing and how I got to be standing there and what was going on around me, this ultimate feeling of absolute triumph because I had a choice to fail. I did. And I didn't take it. 
all of this whole idea that I thought that I was comfortable in the water and all, I, I can do that as much as I wanted to, but I didn't really know, not really. Now I knew, now I knew I was in, I was in the worst possible position that you could possibly be in in the water and I was good. I was calm, I could think my way through things. I was managing, even though I was struggling for breath, I was still doing everything I could. And I'm, and I've, I've had, you know, just from being, you know, a seal and having to do so many, I don't know how many dives we did, you know, things happen underwater that you don't plan and don't expect and you got to manage those. And I was always able to, but a lot of those times when I was managing those problems, I was like, I've, I've been here before. I can handle this. This is no big deal. But that only came through that really genuine, genuine trial of, can you do this or not? And it was a very different existence to me of thinking that I was and assuming that I was into knowing, knowing that I am, you know, so, and that only came through struggle it only came through you know the mocking of the training was like well what if something goes wrong and your and your air goes to crap what do you do um so it was more about being than being beat up by the seal it's like when things go wrong how do you handle this mm -hmm. and that was really the learning the learning point so for me i'm sure that i didn't do this every single time but i but I genuinely felt like, okay, when things are going wrong, how do you, how do you handle it? Like, what do we do next? Um, how do we make the problem smaller or prevent the problem from getting bigger? And how do we, you know, take care of people in the, in the meantime, you know, somebody makes a mistake, they're already going through their own trauma because everybody else is dealing with the mess that they created. You know, am I helping to number one, am I helping to solve the problem? But I'm, I'm number two, am I also taking care of the, Hey dude, it's cool. We all make mistakes. We're going to get through this. It's fine. So they're not just jackhammering away at themselves, you know, causing bigger problems that later on need to be handled in a different way. Unreal. People, people, you check it out today. The tridentapproach.com, elite leadership. You need to check out. This is Diego Ugalde. He is an amazing human being. He is a, he is a warrior. He is a amazing leader. He is somebody that you need to hire today to help your organization get through the challenges that you're facing to take you to the deeper level of living. Um, I have an honor of getting to speak with him almost weekly here, and I have grown so much as a result of it. So if you want to know anything further about what Diego and his team can offer you and yours, then hit me up on social because I would be more than happy to share with you uh, and give you a testimonial of the power that this man carries, the empathy and compassion that he carries, and um, and you need to hire him. So reach out to the tridentapproach.com, get him and his team over to, to wherever you are on this globe. If you want to overcome, live life at a deeper level and learn some elite lessons of leadership, this is your guy.